You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you listening? And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines. I'm joined, as always, by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. And today, Thursday, September 1st, that's right, it is September, it's game week, it's week one of the college football season. We're joined by Boise State beat reporter Jordan Kay of the Idaho Press, who's going to help us break down Oregon State's week one opponent, the Boise State Broncos. Jordan is sitting at a golf course in Bend on his drive over from Boise right now. And I think Angie and I are both a little jealous, but uh, Jordan, yeah. how's that drive treating you? Uh, fantastic. Get get a little break, enjoy the night here, and then head over to Corvallis uh, in the afternoon tomorrow. It's a drive that I've done before. And as <laughs> we, were, we were talking about before we before we hit the record button, uh, some some stretches that of that drive are a little more scenic than others. It's the the last like two hours or it looks like Kansas. It's just you can see for 25 <laughs> miles. It's rough. A whole lot of dirt. Uh, we yeah. thank you uh, for everyone who's watching us live on YouTube right now. You guys are helping us crush our numbers on that platform. Uh, and of course, if you're listening to the audio version on your favorite podcast app, we thank you and congratulations. You, you found our new page. Uh, again, still hearing, you know, that some people are struggling to find it. So if you could help us spread the word, uh, leave a five-star rating. It makes it much easier for people to find our new page uh, since we jumped over to the 24-7 podcast network. Uh, Angie, we haven't heard from you yet. How's your Thursday going? You just sent me your prediction for uh, the uh, the game, which we won't reveal until tomorrow. We'll save uh, we'll save our picks. We'll ask Jordan for his prediction, but the, uh, the Beaver Blitz staff will go tomorrow. Um, you watching any college football as soon as we get off? We've got the backyard I brawl am. at 4 o'clock. That's actually coming on as soon as we're done. We're going to watch some backyard brawl, some college football Love tonight. Um, yeah, that's that's on the ticket. I I have a kiddo that just started his first day of high school today, so he might be walking through here any minute. But um, yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see how that goes. And then I have a senior that starts tomorrow. So yeah, it's getting a little real around here. Crazy stuff. The Machados are representing well at Sherwood High School. I love it. They are. They are. So we're going to hear a little bit more from Jordan, and then we're going to ask him a bunch of questions about Boise State, just kind of go one after another and and pick his brain a little bit on this Broncos team uh, ahead of this really intriguing matchup, which I think is kind of flying under the radar. It's you know nationally televised. It's in a slot where there's not a whole lot of other football going on. So I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. 
and I think it has the potential to be a, a tight game, somewhat of a defensive battle, perhaps, uh, which, you know, we haven't really said that much about Oregon State recently. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll pick his brain a little bit. Uh, we'll let him go shoot a, a 70 on the course over at Tethero. And then Angie and I will, will pick things up with some news from Corvallis and our keys to the game. Uh, but Jordan, let's let's start off. Just you know, kind of tell our listeners about yourself, uh, where you're based, how long you've been covering the Broncos, uh, and and anything else you want to throw out there. Yeah, so I've only been in Boise for about eight ish months. I started in January. Before that was uh, over in Eastern Idaho, covering in Pocatello for a little bit. But I uh, grew up in Phoenix, went to uh, Arizona State, and so I've seen plenty of uh, Beavers games where. Uh, the score was very lopsided and tempy and I think it was like uh was it Andrew Lutton, Jake Lutton? Jake, Jake Luton quarterback. Yeah. Jake Luton, Luton. Yes, he was a stud. I remember watching, you know, Brandon Cooks run for or you know, catch, you know, two hundred and fifty yards and the Beavers lose by forty five. So, you know, Jonathan Smith definitely uh has produced a lot more competitive teams than, you know, Gary Anderson and some of those guys. So I assume you were down there for the uh, the infamous Eno Benjamin game where he ran for about oh yeah yards. I forgot <laughs> I forgot that was Oregon State yes I was yeah. at that game and surprisingly like, that game was like kind of closer than you know a lot of people remember like it wasn't like they won by fifty points but yeah Eno just uh, he was unbelievable that day and and who was his uh, was it Jamar Jefferson on the other side too yeah. I think almost had two hundred yards yeah his that was freshman year game. yeah he uh, he ran crazy down in Tempe. Um, yeah, but you're on your way to Corvallis. Have you been yeah. to Corvallis before? Have you, have you been to Oregon before? I uh, had been to Oregon because Boise State uh, actually got to the Portland Regional for basketball for the NCAA yeah. tournament. Yeah. So had gone for that. Never been to Corvallis. Uh, have heard mixed reviews. So I'm interested <laughs> to you know judge for myself. I've heard the uh, the the brewery scene. There's a apparently a Hawaiian restaurant I've got to check out. That and you can boys. tell you a whole lot about that. Local one. boys, yes, local, local boys. boys. That was that was the one place people like you're going to Corvallis. Local boys is what you got to hit. I was like, okay, cool. So I, I've never gone to a place other than Hawaii that is touted for a Hawaiian restaurant. So that's gonna be nice. <laughs> Oh, we get a dog in the background. And we get, that must we get be Duke. Duke. <laughs> it's Duke. <laughs> Woo! Yay! My uh, good dog. stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll get to you know you'll get to be one of the first outsiders to to get a look at Research Stadium uh, during yeah. its construction process. Yeah, I w- I really don't know what it's going to look like. People have like been asking, you know, oh, like how much of it's ready and stuff, and I was like, I don't know. Like, uh, there's not like a ton of pictures or whatever of like seeing exactly how it's going to be set up and where the media is going to be. So, yeah, I kind of wish my first uh, trip to Reezer was the completed version, but it'll still be cool. Yeah, the uh, the temporary press boxes are nothing to write home about. <laughs> you know, the, the viewing angles aren't going to be great. Luckily sure. for you, you're coming in September. It's going to be 80 degrees. Yeah, uh, I am quite nervous about those November games when we're, you know, shivering in there and uh, yeah, it, it could be rough. The video board, yeah. from what I have heard, is and and from what I have seen, I drove by uh, yesterday. It looked like it was complete. I know that they're testing it today. Uh, and actually, a, a Beaver Blitz member posted a picture in the lodge of one of the tests, and it didn't look like all the panels were working. So we're going to find out on Saturday whether this thing works or not. Uh, but this stadium is is absolutely a work in progress. It's work in progress. It's going to be really cool when it's done. 
Uh, but yeah, to your point, Jordan, it's it's kind of unfortunate that your first trip out is when, in the middle of all of yeah. it. Yeah, when's it supposed to be done? Um, they're about nine months out. I believe the the goal and the timeline right now is shaping up towards June of of twenty three. Okay, that's not terrible. Yeah. So when Jordan does get to to Corvallis, he'll get a first look at this Oregon State football team, and of course, he's bringing his expertise of Boise State with him. We're excited to to pick his brain here and and kind of get some insight into a Broncos program that, of course, has been dominant in the Mountain West for years and has caused all sorts of, all sorts of problems for Power Five teams in general, but particularly the Pac-12. Jordan, just to, to kind of get us started here, who are some of the key players on this year's team that that Oregon State fans uh, should should be aware of and that the Beavers are probably scheming around as we speak? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one that's interesting is, you know, quarterback Hank Bachmeyer. And in a way, it's like uh, a lot kind of like Chance Nolan, where it's like his stats are pretty solid, but it's like this fan base has a weird, like, love-hate relationship almost, where it's like the stats aren't good enough because some of the decision-making, you know, late in games could be bad. So, you know, it was reading and hearing you talk about Chance. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like the same situation. Um, he's up. The past three years, though, he's had a new offensive coordinator every single year and also gone into fall camp in a quarterback battle. And so this was his first year with the same offensive coordinator already knowing the scheme and also knowing he's got the job and not having to work all the way until, you know, right up until the season, not knowing if he's the starter. So a lot of people have high expectations for him. Coaches think he's looked way better than he ever has in his career. So. He's kind of a guy that like, the season's almost in. And John, and another's the running back, George Halani. I mean, he comes from, you know, St. John's Bosco, you know, the California powerhouse, and had 1,000 yards as a freshman in uh, 2019. But he just gets hurt every single season, and that's kind of the storyline is what, well, if he can stay healthy, I mean, man, the guy should have 1,200 yards and maybe declare for the NFL this year. But it's just such a big if, and uh, he hardly got tackled in fall camp, and um, they just didn't want to risk anything. So he's one of those guys where, you know, if he just basically has a couple carries, I mean, if he has 40 yards in a game, they're 16 and two all time. So that, he's just kind of the, the linchpin right there. And on the defensive side, um, you know, th their D line isn't great, but they've got a defensive tackle in Scott Macklock, who's this big, you know, 6'6, 300 pound, you know, redhead guy who looks pretty, pretty fierce and, a lot of people think he might be able to go in the NFL trap, but had like seven sacks last year, led the team in tackles for a loss. And so he's just kind of a run stuffer up front. And that's going to be a fun one to to watch him go against Oregon State's offensive line. And then JL Skinner is this big six foot four safety who, you know, some people think can go in like the second or third round of the NFL draft. He's probably like their best pro prospect and kind of just works everything uh, in the secondary he had two picks last year and like forced three fumbles recover two. He just kind of finds himself always around the ball. And, you know, I've seen last year, you know, Chance Nolan can sometimes have some mistakes and, and look for a guy like Skinner to maybe, you know, force a couple of those. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned the D-line and the secondary there because I've got that. You know, I'm looking on the rundown here of the stuff we want to ask about. And defensively, it's it's those two position groups. So we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, you mentioned Hank Bachmeyer. I, I think the thing that stands out about him is just the fact that he's been a starter there for a long time. He brings a ton of experience, leadership, uh, 
Oregon State, of course, has a little bit of that with Nolan, uh, but it, it cannot be stated enough how important it is to have that continuity on the offensive side. I want to let Angie get in here and, and get a chance to to ask you something if, if Duke's not barking in the background anymore. Yeah, so I'm just curious. So if Oregon State's going to have success offensively, what is going to be the, the key? Is it going to be running the ball? Is it going to be passing the ball? I, I think it's going to have to be running, but um, just because I, I think that your secondary is so strong. But what what are your thoughts? That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, last year, as good as you know, some of the, the key guys are on Boise State's defensive line, they were very good against the run. They didn't get much pressure on the quarterback. And so you look at Oregon State's offensive line and what were they, a finalist for the Joe Moore Award last year. I mean, if those guys are as good as, you know, they were last year, that's, I think, where you, you know, Oregon State's going to be able to just get a bunch of their yardage. Boise State experience in the secondary is so good. Even the corners are, are both seniors. They have tons of experience on that back end. If they can get the, you know, running the ball, I think it could be a tough day for Boise State. And that's how Oregon State won so many of its games last year was just dominating at the point of attack. Um, you look back at how Oregon State was able to put 40 plus points on the board against USC, which even in a down year is, is always ultra talented. And it started in the trenches where Oregon State just dominated uh, with its offensive line and got like six, seven yards per carry as it did in, in most games last year. Really impressive what the Beavers were able to do there. So I'm curious to see how they're going to approach Scott Matlock on that defensive line, because I think he's, you know, about as real of a, of a star defensive player that Oregon state's going to see in these first couple of weeks. So uh, that's a very intriguing matchup. So speaking of that D line and the secondary Boise state last year had the, the leading scoring defense in the mountain West. And I know all around, you know, Andy Avalos head coach there in his second year, uh, more of a defensive minded coach. Are Boise State fans and are you and, and is this team expecting another pretty strong year from that defensive side of the ball? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you look at everything they did and they they really only lost like two ish starters from that defense last year. And so it gives a lot of confidence. They bring back, you know, almost every coach from there. Andy Avalos is a defensive minded guy. I think the only concern for that defense is you look, you know, they were one of the highest scoring, you know, defenses in the Mountain West, but you look at some of the yardage. I mean, there were games where they were given up, you know, 250 rushing yards. There were games where they were given up, you know, three, 400 yards passing. And so this was the epitome of a bend, don't break defense. But on so many occasions, they got bailed out because they forced turnovers. And that's one of those things where it's like you look at it and you're like, okay, you know, how much of that was like, you know, skill, like, you know, turnovers can be so lucky sometimes that it's like, I don't know, it's hard to predict that that's going to just completely translate to, to this season. I think they had 21 total last year. So, you know, you're thinking about that. They're for forcing almost two, maybe three games. And I just don't know if you can, you know, replicate that. But, you know, I've looked in the past and they have done it a, a good amount of times in the last 10 years. But, yeah, they they – if they can kind of just be a little more stout up front and make teams, you know, try and throw the ball against a really experienced secondary that is bringing back, I think four starters and um, they should be in pretty good shape, but yeah, it's going to come down a lot to 
if their defensive line, um, if their defensive end, uh, they brought in a bunch of transfers, one from Weber State, uh, a couple from the JUCO level. Those guys have, you know, can provide the depth on the outside and start getting pressure on Chance Nolan and really making the offensive line, you know, have to, to work a little bit. And they're in pretty good shape. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a team that I think is going to be led by their defense this season but um it's a defense that was by no means perfect last year and just kind of made plays at the right time to make it look a lot better than at times it was it's interesting because it it, i think it has some similarities to oregon state's defensive unit where the beavers i think are expecting to be very strong in the back end and are hoping to get a little bit more push from that front seven this year and I'll let Angie get back in here again because I know she's got some thoughts on the whole bend don't break mindset on on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> yeah, so offensively, Oregon State. I mean, it, it, like Carter said, I think it's a lot very similar to Oregon State's defense. We're really, I think the the secondary is going to be the strength of Oregon State's defense this year. Offensively, what does Bachmeyer have to do? Um, do you think to have success? The, the big thing. So he doesn't have his star receiver last year, Khalil Shakir, who had over 1,100 yards and is now on Buffalo Bills catching passes from Josh Allen. Uh, They don't really have a clear number one guy. A lot of people think it's going to be redshirt senior Stephon Cobbs, who was pretty solid last year, but pretty solid, still wasn't even 500 yards receiving. So if Hank Bachmeyer is going to have success, he's going to have to really just trust his reads and just throw the ball to whoever if he can kind of start trusting all his receivers and spreading the ball to, you know, five, six guys a game, it's going to be really tough for Oregon State to to cover everyone and for Oregon State's corners um, to figure out, you know, which matchup's the best. If guys are coming in and off the field and switching up positions, it's going to be really hard. So, you know, I think that's the key for Hank Bachmeyer is just, you know, throw the ball to uh, to everyone, get the – short yardage a lot of the time give your young receivers who don't have much college experience get them quick catches that are boost their confidence a little bit and then go from there but that's the thing I, I think there was too many times last season where you know the offensive line wasn't very good he would just hold the ball and at times it looked like he was a punching bag out there defenses were just blasting him constantly and that's one of the things is he's got to get rid of the ball quicker and that takes you know, partly just being, you know, better about figuring out things on the pre-snap, but also just trusting your receivers to sometimes just check down to the open guy and just, you know, get your six yards and go on to the next play. And so that's the thing. And I think coaches have been working a lot with him. And that, that's hopefully the maturity you would get from a fourth-year starter and, you know, hopefully what he, he brings on Saturday. It sounds so much like you and I talking about the Beavers offense, doesn't it, Carter? <laughs> It does. These two teams, I mean, we talk about this being a pretty even matchup, you know, Boise State being one of the best teams in the Mountain West, Oregon State looking to become, you know, one of the contenders uh, in the Pac-12. I I think the team's strengths and weaknesses really line up and and the way that they're going to approach things on game day, uh, personnel wise and and with what position groups are, are leading the way these two teams are very similar. So I think that is part of what makes this a really intriguing matchup. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Khalil Shakir there. And then also uh, the, just kind of the the pocket pressure that opponents were able to get and, and ultimately bring down um, Hank Bachmeyer because I actually made it out to a Boise State game last year and watched them play Air Force. 
uh, my second time going and, and watching a game on the blue turf. Um, and a couple of things that stood out to me in that game, obviously, you know, Air Force is a different animal running the triple option and whatnot. Service academies are always different than um, your your standard college football opponent. But a couple of things that stood out, Khalil Shakir would catch anything that was even remotely near him. He, you know, his athleticism, his sure handedness. He was incredibly fun to watch. Um uh, another thing defensively Boise State couldn't stop the triple option I didn't know whether that was you know just the scheme was chaotic and whatnot or if the defensive line uh was was struggling uh, but then also and, and and this is where my next question leads Boise State couldn't really get anything going uh in the in the trenches you know it looked like the offensive line was was getting beat up in the run game and I you know I saw Hank Bachmeyer go down a couple of times is the offensive line a concern this year? Was it a concern last year? And, and you know, with the uh, the amount of talent that they have coming back there, because I know that they have some returning starters, uh, do you expect them to take a step forward in pass protection and opening up holes for, for George Holland? Uh, it would be almost impossible for them to take a step back from last <laughs> year. And almost to, in some ways, to, to no fault of their own. Um, they went into their season opener last year was at UCF. And, you know, it seemed like they had a pretty solid offensive line. Well, right before the game, the their center, their starting center from the year prior is just out with an undisclosed injury. He didn't come back for the entire season. All of a sudden, their right tackle, right in the middle of the, the first half, just goes down and misses a couple games. And it just kind of sputtered into this thing where it seemed like every offensive lineman last season got injured in every game. I think the first five or six games, they had a different five guys on the offensive line. They were just switching everyone all the time, and there was never any continuity. I, you started to see it at the end of the year when most of the guys had played together a little bit, and Halani came back. Okay, it was all of a sudden the running game looked way better. And so it was one of those things where it just showed the importance of the line, and they really tried to address that this offseason. Um, they bring back a, an all-Mountain West guy and left tackle John Ojukwu. They bring over a uh, Washington State transfer who uh, I think just kind of left, you know, with the whole coaching change at right tackle. People have said, you know, he's been unbelievable this season. They get that center who was out last year back. And then, you know, guards are, are two really veterans from uh -oh. 2021 that couldn't block for anyone. You might good? Yeah, yeah we good. got you. We lost you for just a sec, but you came okay. back. Gotcha. Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, an offensive line that couldn't do much last season, and all of a sudden this year, it, it's almost the strength of this team, and so at times you just kind of have to cross your fingers and hope they stay healthy, but going into the season, it's almost night and day from where they were last year. And I, I think we'll see them tested in week one against an Oregon State defensive front that is playing much more aggressively under Trent Bray's direction. Uh, got a lot more pocket pressure in fall camp than Angie and I become yeah. became accustomed to seeing uh, over the last four years. Angie, I'll, I'll hand it off to you again for the for the next one. One of us here before too long, because we got to let Jordan go in just a few minutes, has to ask about Sam Bidlack. So I'll let you broach yeah. that subject because yeah. yeah. obviously you followed him, you know, as as a recruit. Um, and, you know, we, we followed him for his true freshman year at Oregon State. But, Angie, I'll, I'll pass it off to you for that Thanks. one. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the good one. So, yeah, <laughs> Sam Bidlack, um, he barely had a, stayed for a cup of coffee at Oregon State. So I'm just curious how he's looked. Um, I think he transferred before spring camp for you guys. So um, mm -hmm. had 
spring and fall with you. Um, what what are your thoughts on him early early returns? Yeah, so I won't bury the lead. I they released the depth chart at the beginning of the week, and he's actually the third string guy. Um, there was a redshirt freshman, a, a six foot six guy who's just kind of a dual threat who beat him out in a really close race. But you you talk to any of the media people who have gone to practice, and they rave about Sam Bidlack. The way I, like it, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's almost like an artistry thing. Like his ball just looks so good. I mean, the spiral is unbelievable and you know it's tough for him because he was in a quarterback competition with a guy who had been in the program for a couple years and he jumps in in spring and has to learn the offense and understand you know everything about Boise and from everything I heard is he jumped into that and was fantastic just became kind of a a machine learning the offense and really studying and stuff like that Um, I was a little surprised that he wasn't the backup and you know, I think a lot of people were, but if Hank Bachmeyer does move on after the season, I think the, the competition would get opened up again. And you would have to think, you know, Sam Bidlack has got a, a, about a 50-50 shot to, uh, to win that job. But, yeah, everyone who watched him was incredibly impressed with him. And, you know, he, he's not the tallest guy. I think he's like six one, but he can throw the ball like 70 yards and just has a cannon and a really smart dude. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm very impressed with him. And, that, you know, I'd heard from some Oregon State people who were like, no, there were Oregon State fans like calling for him to be the starter. And I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. very interesting. You, you know the backup quarterback is always the most popular of, guy in the court, on the field. Of course. Backup or even yes. the second string or the third string. Especially yeah. when he can throw a 70-yard ball in, yeah. in practice. <laughs> on it's, a rope, it's funny, yeah. the, the Boise State and Oregon State media groups uh, are, are one and the same in that, you know, watching him at practice, it's like he is he's the focal point. You know, yeah. he came in as I believe he was an early enrollee. Right, Angie, yeah. back in, yeah. in the spring of uh, 21. 21. Yeah. And day one of camp, here's this, you know, should be a high school senior comes in and, and he's throwing deep balls and, and looks like the best quarterback out there. Yeah. Um, and we're saying, okay, is this guy going to compete for the job right away? Yeah. Actually saw some playing time against Idaho last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon State, you know, had a big lead late in the game, and he came in for a drive or two. Um, I, I know that Oregon State fans were, were really sad to see him leave. Angie, of course, said, you know, the backup quarterback's the most, uh, you know, the, the most popular player on the team. Certainly was at Oregon State. I, I know a lot of Oregon State fans were sad to see him go and um, are, are really rooting for him except for this week. Um, so speaking of the passing game, you know, Hank Bachmeyer coming back, a lot of experience. You kind of touched on the wide receivers and, and we're going to move on to some bigger, bigger picture stuff here in, in just a second. Um, I have another question though, because I'm seeing some of the comments here and we have a lot of Boise fans. That's that a good are watching. point. Let's, let's do that. I, I'm, I'm just curious. So the fans, Boise fans seem to be thinking this is going to be completely just a runaway. What do you think the team is feeling? Do you think this is that they're overlooking Oregon State, or do you think that they're uh, maybe taking it a little more serious than maybe the fans are? I'll throw this comment I, up I, here on the screen yeah. too. <laughs> I think they're taking it more more seriously than the yeah. fans are, and, and that was one of the weird things of you know scrolling through Oregon State Twitter and Boise State Twitter. It is so rare that in a season opener, both fan bases are so confident. Like, yeah, <laughs> it is just kind of oh, mind yeah. blowing. Like. Yeah, both of them are like so surefire that it's like going to be a, a you know easy victory, and I'm like, I'm like where? Like I don't know, it's weird, but you know there is that thing at Boise State, and you know 
as much as you want to go back and all the history and Kellen Moore and all that stuff, I mean, this is still a Mountain West program that won seven games last year and is facing off against the Pac-12 team. And I think a lot of the, the guys on the team kind of realize that. And, you know, you start, you know, putting up the heights and weights of some of Oregon State's offensive linemen, and it's pretty tough to overlook. And you look at their secondary and how many starters they return on defense. Like, this, in some ways, is like a hard team to overlook. And, you know, they only were, what, third or fourth in the Pac-12 North last year. But, you know, still the Pac-12 and, you know, Boise State still plays in the Mountain West. So, yeah, I think the players are, you know, taking it pretty seriously and, and understand the, the gravity of what this win could do for their season in the same way that, you know, for Oregon State, it's it's kind of a uh, – could be a stamp of like, no, what Jonathan Smith is building something and last year was, was just a, a, a trend going in the right direction. So, um, yes, I think that both fan bases are probably more confident than the, uh, the players and coaches. I don't know if you guys agree. Completely, yeah, yeah. I think we've seen some of that at Oregon State. You know, not many Oregon State fans are predicting a loss here, um, which I, I think is fair. You know, Oregon State is the Power 5 team here. Oregon State won the seven games last year. So did Boise State. I, I think it's fair to assume that the home team has the advantage in what is essentially a coin flip game. But that being said, Oregon State is traditionally a team that starts very slow, uh, you know, kind of builds momentum as the year goes on. Mountain West teams have traditionally beaten up on Oregon State. I mean, go back to the the LA Bowl last year and Oregon State lost to a Utah State team that, while very good, was still a Mountain West team. And I think if Oregon State is going to take that next step and become a Pac-12 title contender like it hopes to be this year, um, you know, you would hope that a team like that could, quote unquote, take care of business against a Mountain West school at home in week one. Before we let you go here, Jordan, I just want to ask you a couple of Andy Avalos related questions, because obviously he was a first year head coach last year. I was taking over a situation that, you know, I, I think as far as non-Power 5 jobs goes, Boise State's about as good as it gets. I think you could throw UCF and maybe Houston in there, too. Um, but in in the second year of the Avalos era, coming off of such a disappointing year, how lofty are the goals and expectations in Boise this year? Not only, you know, within the within the building, you know, at, at BSU, but also, you know, around what media expectations are and what the fans are hoping to see. Yeah, I mean, they're they're a big thing, and they've been pretty vocal of like, you know, winning a Mountain West championship. Um, you know, and I think every Mountain West team probably says the same thing. Just like, sure, Oregon State says they want to win a Pac-12 title, but um, realistically, I think it's like making sure the, the program is back on the, the track that Brian Harson left, left it in when, you know, he bolted for Auburn and, and kind of con- continuing that, that winning tradition a little bit. And, you know, from what I've heard is like, you know, Andy Avalos is a lot more business-like this year. Um, it's not, it's not as much, you know, a, a friendship as much with players. It's a little more, Hey, you know, these are the, the expectations I have, and these are the standards for this program. And, you know, you guys need to meet these in order for us to, you know, accomplish all our goals. So, yeah, I think is you can just say championship, but realistically, it's like that that is the goal. And especially with, you know, these Pac-12 and Big 12 and, you know, Big 10 and all the, the conference realignment stuff swirling around, like all of a sudden this season is a lot more important, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And you've got these Big 12 or Big, you know, Big 12, Big 10 
Pac-12 commissioners looking around and looking at TV numbers every day, um, it, it, it's a really big year. And I think he realizes that uh, he is an alum. It's not like his seat would be, you know, hot right now. It's not like his seat would be hot if he went to another seven and five. But, um, you know, I think he realizes that the people here really, you know, expect to be in the, the BCS, you know, New Year's Six, but not BCS. Man, I'm old. Um, <laughs> the New Year Six Bowl conversation every year. And that's the goal is how do you leverage these next couple seasons and get into the Big 12, get into the Pac-12. Um, so I, I think that's kind of why this year is so important, why this Oregon State game is so important. Is Andy Avalos, you know, the right guy for this job? Can he continue this? Can Boise State's brand, can its, you know, tradition carry on into the 2020s? And, you know, there, there's all these big picture things that you can start analyzing like crazy. Um, and it's pretty easy to, uh, but it, it, a lot hinges on this year. Anything else you want to throw at Jordan, Angie, before we let him go enjoy the Central Oregon golf scene? No, I want to let him go. I, I could get into the whole realignment talk, but that's, that's for another it. day. No, I'm just I, the whole thing. I mean, Oregon State, I think, is struggling some right now with where they yeah. end up. And, and then, you know, the Pac-12 traditionally has been so, um, I mean, the, the chancellors and presidents are so stuck mm-hmm. on the on their academic prowess and where that yeah. fits. And, you know, that's, I think, the biggest knock on Boise is just that it's mm-hmm. not you know, the, the research, what is it? The, the piece P one. Yeah. Yeah. The, or whatever research, they call it. Yeah. The tier one research. Yeah. Um, and, and they have all their, I mean, like I said, do I think it's a little out of date? Absolutely. Um, especially yeah. for a, a conference, you know, an athletic conference, but I mean, it's just going to be an interesting, you know, dynamic to see. And, um, you know, I, I think PAC 12 fans are, you know, I, I know Oregon state, Washington state, Cal, to some extent, they're all kind of, trying to, to stay in that yeah. relative, you know, trying to stay relative, um, you know, then, then you look at, I mean, Boise doesn't make any sense from a, a recruiting standpoint, but no. maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe branching out to like a Texas, you know, TCU, try to get a Houston yeah. SMU. Mm-hmm. That makes a little more sense because then you're going to get more eyeballs. And it's, it's a whole, I don't and, know. And like, yeah. like I said, Oregon state really kind of is going to be just going with the flow and, and seeing where we end yeah. up. But, and, and I think the weird argument, with Boise State and conference really alignment is like people just look at TV markets yeah. like, oh, Boise's like a, a number 90 or 100 TV market, um, which I think is a really outdated way of thinking about these things. I, I think when you go and look at actual TV numbers of like when Boise State is on TV, how many eyeballs are get, they getting? I, there's more eyeballs on, on a Boise State game than a San Diego State game, yeah. you know even though the the San Diego market is far larger. And so I think that's one of those things that, you know, people just look on the surface and it's like, Boise will never get in a big, big conference. The TV market's too small. It's like, well, people can stream a game from their exactly. phone. It's not, like, I, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's no longer just in your, yep. in your, you know, living room, having to watch it on whatever ABC yeah. is carrying. So yeah, it, yeah. absolutely. So that's, yeah, that'll be interesting in the next couple of years to see how that all plays in. And it's interesting this week, too, with Oregon State playing Boise State, maybe make a statement, hey, we don't belong in the Mountain West. Yeah. We are better yep. than Boise State. And and for Boise State's case, hey, we just beat a Pac-12 team. You know, let us. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's a really interesting narrative this week. And again, yeah. Angie and I, we, we, bo- we both want to thank you, Jordan, so much for thank taking you. the thank time you. to to join our our episode of the damn podcast today. I'll be looking for you at Reeser on Saturday. Excited to Heck yeah. 
to, to see you in person. And I, I want to plug here. If, if you are, if you haven't checked out beaverblitz.com today, which what are you doing? If you haven't, uh, Jordan <laughs> contributed to this week's behind enemy lines. Uh, he offered all sorts of great insight in addition to, to the knowledge that he just dropped here on the damn podcast. So make sure you read that Jordan. Thanks again. Go, uh, Thank you guys. what's, what's, what's your goal today? What, what are you trying to shoot out there at Tethro? I don't know. It's like a linked course. I've never played it. Let's uh, under under ninety would be okay. would be great. So Solid. that's the goal. Okay. We are yeah. wishing you luck. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank yep. you. Thanks so much, Jordan. Yep. Have a good one. That was Jordan K, the Boise State beat reporter at the Idaho Press. We thank him for joining us, and and thank everyone for watching and listening here on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We're not going anywhere. I want to let Angie plug something real quick, though, before we come back for the second half of the show, where we're going to talk Oregon State news from Jonathan Smith's press conference and more and provide our keys to the game. But Angie, you've got a special offer to promote here at beaverblitz.com. Huge, huge, huge. It's, it's not live yet. We're taping this Thursday afternoon at you know 3.30. Um, just want to let everyone know that this evening at midnight or around there, probably closer to 10 o'clock our time, we'll be flipping over to our start of the season promotion with 24-7 Sports, which will get you an annual subscription for 75% off. It's huge. It's only around for this weekend um, to kick off the college football season. So please do not miss it. This is your one big chance to uh, get an entire season or an entire year of Beaver Blitz um, for under under $50. So it's huge, huge deal and the best deal we will be running all season. So jump on it. Um, that, like I said, should flip this evening, probably around 10-ish, I'm guessing our time, and we'll run through the weekend. So make sure you jump on that because you will not want to miss any of Carter's amazing content or discussion in the lodge this season. It's shaping up to a really, really exciting season. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, let's kick off this second half of the damn podcast here on Thursday, September 1st. Angie, has it hit you yet? It's September. I, I It probably did hit you today when you sent your kids off to school. 
yeah, I know it's kind of, it's kind of bizarro actually, but um, yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like September. In fact, I'm in the house today cause it was a little hot outside. It's like 90 here and we have mm-hmm. neighbors working in their house and their yard. So I'm inside, but it's here, it's football season and, and it's time to let's go. Yeah. I was doing some work outside for a few hours before I came in for this and just enjoying that now early September sunshine, about a 90 degree day up here in the Portland area. Um, about 82, I think, in Corvallis on day. Saturday yeah. for game day. Um, I know it's going to be a little cloudy in the morning, but it should be a great evening. 7.30 kickoff, so you know it could get a little chilly towards the end of the game, but I think it's going to be a, a great evening for football. Uh, the Research Stadium construction project will be on full display. ESPN in the house. Big-time opponent. It's an exciting time. I am really pumped for college football to be back. And as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go turn on the backyard brawl and watch yeah. that. But Angie and I have been in Corvallis this week off and on. You know, we've been trading off who makes the the pilgrimage down to Corvallis. Uh, but we both made the trip on Monday for Jonathan Smith's first Monday press conference of the season. Uh, and of course, with that comes the initial release of Oregon State's depth chart which I, I've been asked multiple times on, you know, diff- the different hits that I've done and, you know, opponent previews that I've done for other outlets. Uh, were there any surprises on the depth chart? And let me normally, just say you nailed it. You nailed you and I, well, you sent me, I, I put in my feedback, but your prediction was about a, knocked it out of the park Carter. Yeah. And to the point there, I, you know, I've been asked if there have been any surprises. I was like, no, I, I think it went exactly how I expected. Obviously, not everybody's as tuned in as, as you and I watch and practice every day. Um, so I'm sure, you know, fans might be surprised to see a thing or two. But I think as far as what we saw in camp, you know, every now and then they'll they'll throw somebody on there or, or give somebody a starting job that we didn't expect. Uh, but everything went pretty much chalk. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know, Angie, did anything stand out to you? Maybe not necessarily surprising, but things that maybe... Um, fans might be surprised to see or things that you think are interesting about how this depth chart shakes out. Cause the one thing that comes to mind for me actually too, is that you've got a true freshman on the two deep at outside linebacker. And then you've got five guys on the two deep at running back. Yeah. And, and I also think you, you have to mention the the quarterback yeah. and uh, just the fact that I mean, there was really no QB battle. I mean, I, we, you and I Carter said the starting quarterback was going to be chance Nolan back week one. Um, I think we taking, said that in spring camp. I, we said it in spring camp, <laughs> but I don't understand really kind of why they kept that going because mm-hmm. um, Chance Nolan took 98% probably of the, the first team snaps. But um, no, it was interesting. They always have to play their little games. And um, But yeah, the five running backs on the on the two deep was interesting. I, I mean, And a true freshman we have. So oh, the other true freshman, Dylan Lopez, yeah. um, was he left guard? Is that the backup right. left guard? Uh, right guard. Left, left guard, I think. Left guard, yeah. Yeah. Um, which surprised me because I, I thought he was brought in as a center, but that just kind of yeah. goes along with that whole um, Jim Mahala check mentality that you just bring guys in. He was an interior lineman. So, um, and just the best five or the best 10 guys are, are on that list. So um, fun to see. So what we had um, Matthias, Malaki Donaldson, Dylan Lopez, and Damian Martinez are your three true freshmen that are on that two deep. Not every year that we see a bunch of true freshmen on a an initial two deep at Oregon State. Uh, newcomers, you know, generally kind of ease their way in. Even some JUCO guys uh, in the past haven't cracked it, and we've been surprised about. Um, 
Juco would take time. And so that that maybe yeah. that's another surprise too, is just how strong um Cooper, Ryan Cooper has been mm-hmm. um in the secondary, um coming on pretty strong. Slotted in as a one A, one B guy at the nickelback position uh with Ron Harge the third. I'll be interested to see how Oregon State utilizes that position this year just because, and, you know, we're kind of going off topic here, but, uh, you know, with Alton Julian, you know, his health, Jaden Grant moving over to safety from the nickel position, curious to see how they approach that if they want to get multiple safeties on the field at the same time. That's a discussion for another day, and that'll work itself out over the course of the year. But, yeah, three true freshmen on the depth chart, a lot of guys at running back. One other depth chart note that I wanted to hit on here is, um, of course, at, at quarterback, quarterback is the most talked about position on the football team, uh, at, for good reason, of course. Uh, but or, at Oregon State, it's Chance Nolan at, at QB one, but mm-hmm. backing him up, the competition is still alive there. So yeah. Tristan Jebby and Ben Goldbranson are in a two A two B role right now, and um, you know if something knock on wood were to happen to Chance Nolan, we don't know who would step in for him and. I think Angie and I both have our our preference as to, you know, who might have the higher mm-hmm. ceiling and, and who might bring a little bit uh, something different to the offense if they needed it. But what do you make of the backup quarterback competition right now? And obviously, you know, we're we're kind of scratching for stuff here talking about a backup quarterback competition. But I do think it's worth noting. It, it is. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I you and I think both went into this thinking that Jebbia was a senior. But mm-hmm. I've learned that Jebbia got a seventh year of eligibility should he decide to take it. So he's actually a redshirt junior this year. So with COVID and then with his injury, medical hardship, he actually has this year and another year if he chooses to use it. So I think Oregon State is trying to be coy there and trying to keep people from entering transfer portal. If it was me and from what I saw, and granted, we don't see everything. We don't get to break down film of, of practice. But just my gut from what I saw at practice I would, I would go with a Ben Goldbranson just because I, I think the, the ceiling's higher. Um, you need to get him some reps in game. However, you know, Jebbia has game experience and he's won some games for the Beavs too. So, um, I mean, it's, it's not a bad problem to have, but I think the, the coaches are trying to be, um, you know, as as much as they can keep guys from from jumping in that portal because that's that's the new the new way to go, it seems like. We're in agreement there, and I think there's a time and a place for both of those quarterbacks yeah, yeah. on the field. If, you know, let's say Oregon State needs a spark. Let's say Chance Nolan hasn't played well for the first two weeks. Maybe you go to Ben because uh, his deep ball ability and and what he brings as far as that's concerned, maybe that sparks something in the offense and, and unlocks something there. But maybe he goes down in the fourth quarter of a tight game and you need somebody to come in, manage the clock and, and go down for a game winning drive. Well, we've seen Tristan Jebbia do that before. He's a, a sixth year guy. Um, somebody who has won games for the Beavers before, maybe you see him come in there. So I think Oregon state has three quarterbacks that it can score points and win with. So, you know, there's only room for one of them on the field at a time. Uh, but I, I, I think, they would be just fine with with any of them uh, taking the field. So good to see a lot of depth there because, you know, Angie and I both have our concerns about Oregon State's uh, recruiting ability to the quarterback position. But again, a, a conversation another for day. another day. <laughs> um, another point of news from Jonathan Smith's press conference on Monday. This team is really, really healthy, which 
Knock on wood, knock yeah, on something. Seriously. Uh, but entering week one, it's not a given that Oregon State is at full strength or near full strength. In fact, in recent years, there have been a lot of key injuries in fall camp. Go back to last year and the top defensive lineman on the team and Isaac Hodgins went down with a season-ending foot injury like two or three days into camp. So the fact that uh, that Oregon State comes into week one with only two guys listed as out for sure um, a testament to, to what they were able to do health-wise during camp. So those two guys are outside linebacker Ryan Frankie, who will miss the entire season uh, with a leg injury, and then Sione Lolohea on the defensive line um, entering his true sophomore season mm-hmm. uh, is out for a couple of more weeks with an undisclosed injury. So those two are the only that for we don't sure know. Are yeah, out we don't. Week. We don't know. We did see. We had seen um, Easton Mascarenas, or you did at practice mm-hmm. what two weeks ago. Um, he's fine. He's he's good to yeah. go. So um, you had seen him out, but yeah, I this is the healthiest I've seen this group. And like I said, I, I, it feels kind of almost like a jinx saying that, but um, hopefully they can all stay healthy. Do you think we see Alton Julian this week? Do you do you think he makes his return from an ACL tear? I don't. I mean, because you're we're not even a full year out from that. Yeah. Coach Smith said on Monday that he would be. He expected, didn't he? I, it was an expected to be cleared. Is that what he said? Yeah, he said he expects him to be cleared for Saturday, which I think is coach speak for he's not, he's not. cleared. Yeah. Um, and if you're not cleared for game action, what are you doing in practice? I, I know that he has practiced and, you know, yes. I've, I've seen him on the practice field, um, but I don't know what he's cleared to do and what he's not. So I think yeah. it's probably a stretch to say that he's going to be ready for, for week one. But and I- he wasn't ruled out. So that's worth ruled out. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, I think we're going to get the, he's day to day is right. what it's going to be the coach speak for that. Um, but I think as long as, as long as the Beavers don't need him to be on the field, I think it's better to an, on an ACL to ease him back in um, and make sure he's golden before you, you know, tear him loose. And while Oregon state would love to have him on the field, I, I think, a you know, a potential first or second team, all conference safety there. Yeah. Uh, the Beavers are just fine on, on the back end of the defense yeah. right now as, as far as health, talent, experience goes. Uh, the Beavers will be fine without him, so they don't need to rush him back. Yes. But yeah. again, he's he's the one question mark. Ryan Frankie, Sione, Sione Lolohea are out. out. Outside of that, Oregon State is a very healthy team right now. Again, we'll keep knocking on wood there, but if, yeah. if the Beavers can maintain that, um, they have a lot of depth at a lot of positions, and I think that's going to be a real strength of this team. Any other uh, noteworthy things that you learned from interviews this week? I, I, you talked to A.J. Stewart, the running backs coach, uh, Chance Nolan, and uh, Luke Musgrave on Tuesday. I spoke with Trent Bray and a couple of defensive guys in Riley Sharp and Alex Austin on Wednesday. Nothing groundbreaking. No. On on my end, I don't know if you picked up anything that you wanted to pass on no, here. AJ Obviously, you can, you can go watch those those interviews on our YouTube page uh, and and on beaverblitz.com. But go yeah. ahead, Angie. Oh, AJ Stewart was interesting. That was my first time interviewing him. Um, so much. I mean, he had a lot to say. It was a ten minute interview almost, and um, you know, a lot of questions about how do you manage that room when you have five guys that are on that too deep. And you know, he he talked about just the fact that you know, in his opinion. Deshaun Fenwick and Trey Lowe kind of elevated themselves kind of in all facets of everything they're asking those guys to do. That's why they earned the or for the starting spot. The other guys are working on some things. And he said it's a transparent room. He's constantly, you know, every week 
he tells these guys what his expectations are, what they need to work on. And I ask him a little more about Damian Martinez, the freshman, because you guys know I'm super, super high on him. Um, as is he, uh, Coach Coach Stewart has been um, blown away with his maturity and and what he's bringing. But he said, you know, his biggest thing is he's learning the offense and he's taking notes. He goes, he's never seen a kid take so many notes. But then he comes back the next day at practice and he's fixed what he needed to fix. So um, you can't ask for more than that if you're a coach. Great insight from AJ Stewart there. Before we move on to our final segment, we did have a comment come in through the YouTube chat that I want to throw up here. Um, and, and thanks again for everybody who's watching us live on YouTube. There's a little smackdown going on there. With Boise there State is. There's a lot of yeah, back and forth uh, between the Oregon State and Boise State fans in, in the chat right now. Uh, but this comment came in from, from Dead Star Cartel, who who threw on a – we lost it. There it is, who, uh, who I threw on the screen earlier. This individual played right guard next to Brandon Kipper in high school uh, at, at the tackle position out in Caldwell, uh, said that he's a stud. Really cool to, to have that that perspective yeah. there. I saw that come in and, and wanted to highlight. Uh, so thanks to, to all of the Idaho-based, you know, Boise State fans out here watching us uh, and, and picking up some intel on the beeves. The back and forth between Oregon State and Boise State fans this week, not only in our YouTube chat right now, but just in general, I think has been really entertaining. It, it's fun. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not like a, it's not like an Oregon, Oregon state rivalry or, or some of those PAC 12 rivalries, but I would say Boise state, Oregon state has had a, you know, pretty long, long term back and forth. And it's, it's fun to watch. Our final segment here on this Thursday episode of the damn podcast, we're going to make this a weekly thing. And I think we're going to follow kind of the same format every week, bring on a guest, talk about what we learned throughout the week, and then provide a couple of keys to the game. So I've got an offensive key and a defensive key. Angie, I don't know if you prepped anything other than what I've got on the notes. And if not, that's fine. We can highlight these here. But offensively, my my key for Oregon State is it's got to find a way to move the ball through the air. And I think you and I have both expressed our concerns over the last few weeks about Oregon State's passing game, uh, its questionable depth at receiver, inability to to establish anything deep with consistency. Jordan mentioned that Boise State's one of Boise State's strength is its secondary, and I think that matchup right there is is really concerning. So I think Oregon State's got to be able to move the ball through the air if it wants to maintain consistency uh, on, on the offensive side of the ball. That's that's good. But my key, to, my offensive key to the game is being able to move the ball on the ground. I think this is going to be a ground and pound game for Oregon State. Uh, I already think that Oregon State's offensive line will be able to, you know, um, should be able to handle the defensive front. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but I, I would like to see that matchup. But I think Oregon State's running game is going to have to keep them uh, in this game, control the clock control the time of possession and, and move the ball that way. Um, and I think if they're going to have success with the air, it's going to be, have to be kind of the little dink and dunk passes, but I want to see the ground game, you know, really, really thrive this week. That's a good point. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to push back a little bit because the reason I've got moving the ball through the air is my key is because I think Oregon state will be able to establish a ground presence. And, I, I think Boise State's, you know, it's it's not going to give them anything on the ground. But as Jordan said, that defensive line is still somewhat of a concern outside of Scott Matlock. The front seven is is not necessarily as strong as the back end. So I think Oregon State will be able to run the ball, but it might not be able to if the Broncos stack the box. And yeah. if the Beavs know that they can't get anything through the air, if, if they've proven that they can't, Boise State's just going to stack the box, you know, throw those safeties uh, in, into the front seven, 
bring a little bit more pressure. So I think in order to maintain that ability to move the ball on the ground, the Beavers are going to have to find success through the air. But And, and a little it, bit of fly it's, sweep. It's a, good point. it's a good point by you still. Some, some fly sweep action and maybe a little tight end action too. Spread that Boise State defense yeah. out. Uh, defensively for Oregon State. So this is obviously, you know, our eyes are going to be on the defense. I think we know what we're going to get from the Oregon State offense. But defensively, um, obviously, that's a lot of where the questions lie, where some of the anticipation is. So my key defensively for the Beavers here in week one is to establish a presence in the backfield. So as Jordan mentioned, you know, last year, Boise State's offensive line, it can't get any worse than what it was last year. <laughs> Um, but it hasn't proven that it is better on game day quite yet. And I think Oregon State, uh, with what it hopes to get out of its front seven this week, it's a matchup that, you know, maybe allows Oregon State to prove that it has made a lot of improvements there. No, I agree. I, I think getting pressure on Bachmeyer is going to be the key to this game defensively. And you and I have been raving about the defense all fall. And uh, we've seen them dominate Oregon State in the first scrimmage. Um, we've we've heard they've done pretty well throughout the fall camp. So putting pressure, and, and this is going to be a big test for Trent Bray, what kind of blitz packages he brings. He he wants to be, you know, he wants to keep it, you know, keep things different and, and surprise people, but he doesn't want to show his whole hand for the whole season up front. So, you know, there's that fine balance between how vanilla you play it and, and what you do. So you want to do as little as you can and still bring the pressure, but – I'm excited to see, you know, where some of the stuff ends. That's one of the kind of the challenges of playing a team like Boise State in week yeah. one, Fresno State in week two is, well, maybe you don't want to reveal everything for conference play, but these aren't teams that you can only use half no. of your playbook against. And, and that goes for both sides of the ball. I think Oregon State is going to have to reveal a lot yeah. of its, its playbook in week one and week two mm -hmm. to get the job done. Whereas if they had started the season with Montana State instead of putting them in week three, you know, I think that's where you see Oregon State play a little more conservatively. But in order to, to get the job done against Boise State, Trent Bray is probably going to have to show quite a bit of his new defense. And yeah. I'm excited for Oregon State fans to see it because yeah, you know, so far it's, it's been behind closed doors and they've kind of been taking our word for it. You know, we've been saying, oh, yeah, this defense looks totally re-energized and they're flying around. Well, now's their chance to prove us right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think just the the potential for that group to take advantage of, of Boise State's shaky pass protection last year and an inability to get something going on the ground. I think we get a good read uh, yeah. this week on on what Trent Bray's defense is going to look like. Anything else you want to add, Angie? Any more keys? Any takeaways from what Jordan said? Anything before we get out of here? No, I'm, I'm excited for week one, and I it's it's fun to, to see the back and forth. Are, are we doing predictions here, or are we going to wait to reveal this on Beaver Blitz tomorrow? I think we're going to save that. I think we're going to save okay. it for beaverblitz.com. Okay. Uh, that's what I was working on right before we came onto the pod here. I was formatting our staff picks. Uh, I, will, I will say most of us are in agreement, uh, but not all of us. So. Okay. This is not a consensus week, and I, I didn't expect it to be yeah. uh, with with how even we we see this matchup. Just, I just want to remind everyone to uh, this weekend, seventy five percent off a, a Beaver Blitz membership, and that gets you access to all twenty four seven sites. Um, gets you access to the lodge, and uh, just all the great content that Carter is putting out. 
it's a big week for for everyone involved us included i know i've been a lot busier i know you've been a lot busier we've been driving down to corvallis uh working into the the late hours of the evening getting content out there i'm excited for college football to be back i forgot how exhausting it was um <laughs> but this is this is the time of week where it starts to pay off yes. uh, fridays friday is my day off i'm going to be sitting on the couch watching some football in the evening not only today but of course tomorrow uh, and then Saturday, nice thing is Oregon State doesn't play till 7.30. So watch some Oregon, Georgia, watch some Big Noon, you know, watch all of those um, uh, those big matchups. I, I'll probably miss Utah and Florida, probably be on the way down to Corvallis when that's going on. Um, but yeah, an opportunity to watch a lot of college football before Oregon State takes the field at 7.30. So with week one being here, that is all for our podcast content before the game, but we are going to be back on Sunday to recap it. Uh, we're going to continue to go Sunday, Thursday throughout the football season, bring on some guests on Thursday. We're going to tap into the 24-7 Sports Network, and and next week I assume we'll have um, Jackson, Jackson Moore, Moore. of, of BarkBoard.com on. No guarantees. He will be a, a very, you guys will get to know him because he also runs yeah. a couple other Pac-12 sites too, so um, we might have Jackson on a few times. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully we get him on next week. Uh, but if not, we'll find somebody to, to provide some insight into the Fresno State program. But all eyes are on Boise State. I'll be down in Corvallis. Angie's going to handle the game thread from the comfort of her couch watching on ESPN. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for watching us live on YouTube. Again, we really appreciate the support there. Numbers continue to go through the roof. Uh, thanks for everybody who who found us on the uh, you know the, the various podcasting apps out there again, leaving a five star review just helps uh, people find our our new page and our new feed and and continue to spread the word. So thanks to everybody uh, for joining us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. We'll be back on Sunday after our weekend at at Beaver Blitz, full of game coverage, our our instant recaps with top performers. He said, she said. Uh, one of our our fan favorites, which of course is a VIP feature. So if you want to read that and some of the other stuff we have throughout the week at Beaver Blitz, be sure to take advantage of that 75% off deal that Angie mentioned. Um, so we'll be back damn podcast wise on Sunday, but we're not going anywhere at, at beaverblitz.com. But until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll be back on Sunday for another episode of the damn podcast. Returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.